Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I'm here with Eric Twiggs, the, uh, I think it's Procrastination Prevention Partner. Is that right? Absolutely. How's it going, Eric? Fantastic. It's great to be on your show. Yeah, great to have you. And just for the listeners, before we get into, you know, the subject of the podcast, which is more about failure, uh, maybe you can start out with a little bit of a shameless brag about some of the positives of your career so that we know a little bit of the stakes before we get into some of the, the more uh, difficult subjects. <laughs> so I, I'm your procrastination prevention partner. I'm the author of The Discipline of Now, 12 Practical Principles to Overcome Procrastination, and I'm the host of the 30-Minute Hour podcast. I help entrepreneurs and executive leaders to ditch their excuses to beat procrastination so they can make more money, get more done, and feel more confident. That sounds awesome. I'm sure I definitely could have used you in the past and still probably could uh, use you because I know myself, I love procrastinating. I I go so far as to label the, the things that I do that are you know, um, push, they're kind of pushing forward some goal, but not the main goal. I call that kind of active procrastination where I'm, I'm definitely delaying something, but at least I'm trying to do stuff in the meantime. But, uh, how, what got you involved in, in that subject specifically? I imagine you struggled with it first before you started to learn how to conquer it. No, here's the thing. So I, this started for me in college. It was my senior year at Hampton university. I was having this conversation with my good friend, Donnell, and he was always giving me a hard time because he, he was always about his purpose and I was always about the party. So he was always giving me a hard time saying, Eric, you need to get it together. And I'm like, man, we have plenty of time for all that. Are you coming to the party with me or not? And so several weeks went by, I hadn't talked to him, but I got a phone call from his mother telling me that he was killed in a car accident. Oh, wow. And it, and it changed how I thought about time. And, and it sent me the message that said that maybe I don't have the time that I think to do the things that I want to do. And ever since I've been focused on time, time management and overcoming procrastination. Wow. That's intense. And so I imagine did some of the things he had talked to you about before uh, that accident happened, did he, did you take any of those things more to heart, maybe about the purpose and about trying to find, you know, what you wanted to do in life, not just the lack of time, but also maybe some of the things he was pushing you to do. Oh, sure. Like he was he he was in the Marines. So he knew he wanted to be a Marine Corps officer and he was just always focused on purpose and, and things that lined up with him being a Marine Corps officer. And that's one of the things that inspired me to say that that clarity is the starting point of success. Right. When you're clear on what it is you want to do and where you want to go, that that's a great starting point. And I know I would have procrastinated a lot less especially in college, if I had a clearer picture of where I was trying to go. So yeah, that, that was uh, one of the big takeaways for me. Yeah. And also the piece about time, even if someone out there thinks they have enough time, even, you know, given 
a full long life, it's still not that much time in the grand scheme of things. And so kind of, I think wherever anyone is perspective wise on how much time they have, they might as well start doing things now regardless, uh, cause it can only help get you to where you want to be faster. Oh, for sure. You know, one of the things that frustrates me is when people say, oh, you know, I'm going to wait until things get back to normal. Then I'm going to start then. No, I mean, you you have to move. You, you have to move now. You have to do what you can right now. What can you do should really be the question. Yeah. And when things get back to normal, you're just going to have a lot more competition from people who also waited till things get back to normal. Now's the time to really uh, strike while the iron's hot. Um, so what? So from college and, you know, that the friend Donnell that you had after that, what was your next step? How did you, how did you take that and run with it into a personal business? Great question. Here's the thing. Initially, I thought the message was I need to climb the corporate ladder and get successful and get to the top. So that was my focus. Time is short. I need to be driven. And I got to a point where it looked like I had accomplished that you would argue that I had become successful. I mean, I had the nice BMW. I was a district manager at 17 locations at 500 employees working for me. And we were winning these awards for most profitable district in the company out of 80 districts. And I'm getting kudos. I've got trophies. And I remember this plain as day. I am sitting in my car. I pulled to the stoplight and I looked in the rearview mirror and the eyes that were looking back at me were the eyes of someone who hated what he was doing. <laughs> I, I was successful, but I wasn't significant. I didn't feel significant. So that, that really made me look at what is it that I really want to do outside of just making money and having a nice car. And, and that's, I started to look back at my career and, and I noticed that I felt the most fulfilled whenever I was talking to a group of people. I spent some time as a corporate trainer. And I, I, w- I would do that job and I would say, you know, I could just do this all day. Every- this is great. I, I remember thinking I ended up getting promoted and it wasn't as great. <laughs> I was making more money, but it wasn't as great. And, and so that's really finally, you know, after a period of time, I started pursuing speaking opportunities. I joined Toastmasters International and started speaking regularly. And from there, I uh, made it to the National Speakers Association and things just grew from there. Well, that's pretty cool. I've done Toastmasters. Uh, I think I've only done it once, but the, did, the time I did go, it was really interesting and awesome. Uh, I should go more. I just, uh, the stars aligned that day and I happened to go ahead. I, I imagine they're doing them online these days, if I had to guess. Um, but I had a similar issue or, or path where I was trying to climb the corporate ladder. And that was like my path to success. And uh, unlike you, I didn't find success. I just kept getting fired from all my jobs. So that was the, the lesson was more like, uh, you, why do you want to keep doing this thing that you hate? You know, similar, but without, if I tasted some of that success, I might have stayed in a longer, you know, and I still do work full time uh, doing a similar job, but I've gotten out of corporate America, so to speak, because uh, I really don't, I've worked for some big companies like Viacom and KPMG and stuff. And it's just so disheartening to be just a cog in the wheel. So I'm at a very small company now until I can figure out how to make success on my own. But uh, what is, so how did you get your foot in the door with some of those uh, corporate clients? What was your way of finding out people who wanted to trust your training before you had much experience? Well, networking was, was a good way to do that. So like one of my early speaking engagements was with the federal government. And it just so happened 
that the there was a nice young lady who was in my Toastmasters club and we were always uh, competing against each other in the speech contests. So, it, you know, most of the time I was winning every now and then she would win. So she, you know, she knew. And so she recommended, it was, this was huge. I was just starting out and I get this speaking engagement for the federal government, a hundred, hundred government workers there. And, uh, and it was all because of that network. So I networked through Toastmasters. I networked through people in my church, through the, my fraternity brothers, you know, through the, like the graduate chapter. So that's really how I got a lot of uh, my earlier engagements and just really, it, it's really about mentors and networking. Anybody mm-hmm. that's looking to do a similar thing, that is the key. And that's something I would have done even like knowing what I know now. Oh man, <laughs> like that, I would have been spending all my time meeting people who had the result that I wanted and just taking them to lunch and picking their brain and then just going out and doing what they told me to do. Yeah. I, I love networking. I've, I did a lot of it and that's actually where I came up with the failure guy concept is because I was doing it so much and I didn't want to keep talking about Microsoft Excel, which is what I I train in. And so I was just, people would fall asleep almost instantly when you mentioned Excel. So I was like, well, what other things can I do? Maybe I'll be the world's number one failure and totally just confuse everybody. Um, But I definitely wouldn't have come out with that if it wasn't for the networking. And even my ex at the time uh, hated how much of it I was doing. So I jokingly called it not working because I liked it better than working. So I'd be saying, I'm going to go to my not working group, but, uh, and I try to get something going there with uh, some domains and stuff, but like most of my ideas, they just pass in the night and I let them sail. Um, And so after you got some of these speaking engagements, you then pivoted to maybe having your own company or did you already have it as an own, your own company at that point, or did you just kind of do it on the side? So I mean, I I just started off doing it on the side. Uh, and, and I'll say when I, after writing the book, The Discipline of Now, I, I think the traction really picked up from there because so I, I, you know, when I didn't have the book, I would say, you know, I'd be approaching over to, hey, you know, I can speak for your organization. And then when I, when I noticed when I got the book, people would see the book and say, hey, maybe you can speak for my organization. So, so it, got, <laughs> it, got, it got a little easier. I started getting much, uh, much more traction once I actually had the book and it's just been a, a progression over time. You know, it's, it, it, you know, the key, again, the key thing is, you know, it's like a, one of the things that helped me with being in the National Speakers Association, mm-hmm. because you're, you're around other professional speakers. I mean, some of these speakers, I mean, in the million dollar club and people that are really successful. So they help you to focus on the business aspect. And what I found with speaking is not so much the speaking side of it. Speaking, you, you think from the outside looking in, the challenge is just getting up there in front of people and speaking. That's not really the challenge. The challenge is the business side of the thing. The challenge is having a system in place so that you get another engagement or you get the person that invited you to speak to invite you again and refer you. And just really keeping that, that, that is really, it looks easy. <laughs> yeah. You probably know, I mean, it, it's really difficult. And so that's really what helped me was being affiliated with the National Speakers Association and then writing the book. And over time, that's really when I was able to uh, focus on like the coaching. And, and so the coaching is really, uh, I spent a lot of time coaching people, one-on-one uh, groups and that type of thing. 
Yeah, I definitely identify with the speaking part not being the hard part, or at least coming up with something to say is not usually the difficult part. It is trying to find people who will listen because I had spent during the networking time, I was uh, probably two months promoting this uh, Excel training I was going to do for free. And it was going to be at a Microsoft store in the mall. So I thought like, okay, I'll get some bleed over. And maybe anybody over the last two months who I've told like hundreds of people, maybe someone will come. But when I uh, ended up giving it, it was two people total. And one of them was a Microsoft store employee who <laughs> felt bad and joined in. So, you know, kind of no matter what I did, I couldn't figure out how to get people to show up and listen. So I, I definitely agree that's, you know, trying to figure out the business side and how to get people to want to listen is definitely one of the struggles. I'm wondering, cause I know a couple of the listeners uh, have been struggling in writing their own books. Can you give us a little bit of background on the discipline of now and how like the inspiration for it and how difficult or easy it was to write? So it, it's based off of like all the coaching sessions I've had with entrepreneurs and executive leaders and one of the things I'll say that I learned through this process is you have to overcome the perfectionism thing. Yeah. So I like, for me, I like to have everything all figured out. And so I would try to write and edit at the same time. Finally, I had to figure out that you have to have a time where you just get all your ideas on paper, no matter how crazy it sounds, and then go back and edit. And I always tell people, you, you can't allow perfect to become the enemy of progress. Mm-hmm. So you had to focus on just getting your ideas down and then going back. But yeah, that was my, it took me a lot longer than it really should have. Yeah. Quite honestly. But, but, but the the advantage of it taking long was that I did, I, I came up with ideas that are in the book now mm-hmm. that may not have been in the book if I had completed it when I really should have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of us can get some of our ego wrapped up in the ideas so much so we don't, want to let it loose in the world because it might hurt us, you know, the reception of it. And the more we can kind of distance ourselves from how it performs, you know, sometimes we can get past some of that. But uh, what you just said is a great point. Distancing yourself from how it performs. And and that was one of the things when the book came out, I I felt uneasy for a while. (laughs) I haven't shared this on a podcast before, right? But like when the book came out, it's like, because you you don't know how people are going to react. You don't know I thought it was pretty good, but you know, you don't know if they're gonna bash it. You don't know. It's mm-hmm. it's an uneasy feeling when you have your writing. It's now etched in stone. It's out there. It's nothing. You can't go back and change it. Yeah. You know, your your friends, your family, everybody's. Oh, I'm gonna get the book, and you're like, oh, okay. So, what was but, the disheartening part? Was it the lack of sales, the lack of feedback, or what? What was the part that was difficult? You're saying. Well, no. The, the challenge is just again, your your work is out there. Mm-hmm. You can't. There's no. You can't go back and edit it. Yeah. Right? You, what you said is out there, and you just don't. This the. It's more. It was more of the unknown. Mm-hmm. You know. You don't know how people are going to react. Now, I mean, it, all the feedback. Most all the feedback just about has been positive, yeah. and it's gone over very well. But it's very une- It's an uneasy feeling when you. You know, when, when you're putting a book out in the world. Yeah. You don't know. Especially because you have spent a lot of time getting this thing to be a reality. And now, you know, the hard part's done in terms of you've shepherded this baby to the world. And now you're trying to hope that, you know, it gets loved by people and enjoyed and rather than necessarily hated or make you feel worse for having done it. So I definitely identify with that. How did you get past some of those feelings? Well, just time and experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And again, it goes back to something you said. You just really have to separate yourself from the outcome. You, you, you have to look at yourself like it's almost like you're the mailman. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm just I'm just giving you the message, which you do with it that <laughs> yeah. You, you can hate the message or love it, but the message is yours. Yeah, it's my job. Like, right. Yeah. I, I've done my job. And you know what what really was rewarding for me is that I, I would have like like I have a mentor. She is a you know retired professor. And she know, I mean, she knows she's written books herself. So she knows writing, she knows what it's supposed to look like and sound like, how it's supposed to flow. And she had nothing but great things to say about it. And I know, knowing her, if if there was an issue, she would definitely tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's very, she's brutally. So, you know, and there were several other people like that, that were high level people that have written books that read it from cover to cover and nothing great, but great things to say about it. Um, so, so that was certainly rewarding. But no, I mean, I think the takeaway, again, just think about yourself as the mailman, focus on, because I think there, there is someone who needs to hear your message. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to think about the other person. So yeah. the key is getting the message out there and focus more on the, pro, you know, getting it out there, not so much. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Brendan uh, Kumarasamy, and he, had, I think he introduced us. And one of the things he said that I liked was that um, basically think about, about the people who would be missing out on what, you know, the ones who'd need it and wouldn't necessarily get it, even if you never hear from them, thinking about those people when you're trying to get past doing something rather than the people who are going to not like it or critique it, there will be some who definitely need it. And so picturing all the people who will suffer if you don't do it is sometimes a motivating factor that he said was, was pretty good. And so from that book, The Discipline of Now, can you give us maybe one or two tips for procrastination that maybe the listeners could benefit from and get a little taste of the book? Absolutely. So in the book, I talk about the procrastination prevention pyramid, right? So it's a, a model that if you follow it, it'll help you to overcome procrastination. And I'll just, I'll touch on like the foundation. So the foundation of the pyramid is your attitude, because I just think that your, your attitude is the foundation of your success. And we just have this, we tend to have this habit, especially if you're in business, if, if you just if you just pay attention to your self-talk, most of the time it's negative. Mm-hmm. Like the studies show that the average person, 80% of the thoughts that are going through their mind are, are negative, right? And so you, it's easy to become a pessimist. And if you are a pessimist, you're more likely to procrastinate. Mm-hmm. So, so instead, you, you have to, so it's a bad habit, right? You get these negative thoughts. So the best way to overcome a bad habit is to replace it with a better one. Mm-hmm. And so the better habit is really being intentional about being being grateful and positivity. So think about the things, get, get in the habit of focusing on your wins, things that are going well. Think about everything you have to be grateful for. Yeah. And just really get in that habit. That, so that's a key tip. And if you do that, that will help you to, you'll find that you procrastinate less. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think I've tried to do kind of the opposite here, which is make the negative sting less with the failure thing. But either way, whether it's taking your attitude and turning it to positive or trying to deflect some of that negativity and self, you know, negative self-talk or the shame spiral kind of stuff, uh, that's definitely something you'd want to avoid. And so you're saying that's the base of this pyramid, which I imagine has three other so things. Full of five levels. Okay. So that's level one. Cool. And um, what, 
how, at one point did you know that you could teach people about procrastination? When did you figure out that procrastination was the thing that you were going to try to combat? Well, it's interesting. So I had that experience with Donnell mm-hmm. and, and when I got to Toastmasters and we do these speeches, but it, it would all, all of my presentations would seem to always gravitate towards time management, and not procrastinating. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I had men, so I would compete in these speech contests and I had mentors who were professional speakers and, and they would kept point, Eric, you know, you talk about time management, like that should really be your lane you need to really focus on that and procrastination. And, and then when I, I, I would create audio products, I, you know, one, whenever I did an audio product, I'm overcoming procrastination. It flew off the shelves. Okay. People would, Oh, I need one for my parent. I need one for my brother. I need one. Oh, hmm. my goodness, this is, where have you been all my life, Eric? <laughs> so, that, so that was, it was like confirmation that, that this is supposed to be my lane. Yeah. I didn't even think about people gifting that and how much that would be a thing. Cause they know someone who, needs to stop procrastinating, but probably won't look it up themselves. So that's a, it's a good way to get people to share that. Um, if, if you could go back to when you were in college um, and maybe give yourself some advice that might help you, you know, throughout your career, is there anything specifically you'd, you'd make sure to tell yourself like a younger uh, Eric? Oh, sure. I would tell myself to lean in to being different. Mm. You know, in college, it's especially when a younger person, you want to fit in. It's tempting to conform, but I, I really think the value is in being different. And, and if you look at successful brands, they, they're different. If you, if you look at the music world, the singers, they, they have their unique sound. It's unique to the point when they come on, you, you, already, you already know who it is. Mm-hmm. Right? No, no one really sounds like them. And, and I think that is, that's really the key. Is, is really the leaning, but we, we resist those things that make us different. We try to yeah. fit in and hide our differences. So that, that's the advice I would give to myself. Okay. Well, let's let you take that advice right now. What about you would you say is different that we might not know from your podcast appearances and stuff? Feel free to lean in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I am, I'm just very disciplined. You know, I, I, I really, I, I like to have things, structured um you know so i, I so that, that's something that, that's different about me i, I like to what know, do you like about it? it is it just relieve stress to have things organized and and structured i i think it, it does help me to focus because mm-hmm. you know my, i don't have to think about things that i have to, like for example I, I, I write things down and so that frees me up so i, I get creative i, I get creative ideas so they're, they're like, there's certain things that I do that are like brush my teeth. Like I don't, I don't need to write it down. It's like, like certain, mm-hmm. like, like going to the gym in the morning. Yeah. I don't have to write that down on a to-do list. That's just something that, so, so like I, I pick up habits pretty quickly. Yeah. So, so now the, the bad thing about that, my, my tendency, I'm disciplined. I pick up these habits pretty quickly. I can pick up a bad habit mm-hmm. quickly too. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I like milkshakes. But it, it, I, it, I can very easily go through a thing where I'm drinking one every day. Yeah, it's tough so, to uh, limit the good and the bad. Right. So I, I, knowing myself, I have to just keep it away from me. Yeah. Like there's certain things I don't keep in my house because I know I'll just go down and eat it every day. Again, it's a habit. Yeah. But that's a good way to keep it uh, in check is to not have it be available when you're mindlessly 
doing it. You mean, I imagine you don't keep yourself from having a milkshake ever. Maybe it's just when you're out and about, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very rare. Okay. Um, it, it's very, I, now, again, I just have, I just try to stay away from trouble. You don't want to remind yourself of, of what, right. what it is. Yeah. Right. I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to have to use my willpower. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the easiest thing is just to stay away from it altogether. Yeah, it's like future willpower that you're using now to prevent right. you from having to use more in the future. Right. Um, Cool. Well, uh, being on the show, you get uh, what I call a goof card. This is my first time calling it a goof card, but it's a get out of fail free card, which you can cash in and uh, go ahead and pursue any kind of career or hobby or something that you've maybe thought would be interesting, but has a lot of, of possibility of failure. And so if you could, you know, go be an actor or stand up comedian or do some sort of a thing that you wouldn't necessarily do, uh, what would you use that card for? So I, I could use the card to just pursue something else, you mean? Yeah, get out of fail free. So you won't fail in whatever this endeavor is. It's obviously a hypothetical scenario because you would yeah. fail. But uh, just curious what kind of thing you would uh, go ahead and approach or do if failure was not a possibility. Great question. Great question. You know what? I would do the, the stand-up comedian thing. And and because I, I just think it helps if you if you just have that that natural timing. Mm-hmm. You know, when it when it comes to comedy, because I, I mean, like now, in my pre, I always try to add elements of humor because it helps people to focus. But I, but I think if, if like if I were just to go, like I wouldn't mind going on like a tour, right? Just just going to like improv comedy clubs and, and just see what happens. Yeah. And, and I think it gives you thick skin. Mm-hmm. It forces you to, to think on your feet, and you know, you I, I think if you do that long enough, you know, you you. But like, like I do, I have another podcast that I mm-hmm. do where I've got these other comedians on there. You can tell when things happen, they've, they've got jokes, they've got timing, they've got, so that is something that, that would be interesting. Would you want to be a traditional stand-up comedian with like written jokes that you rehearse or would it be more improv where you're just kind of thinking on your feet? A mix, it would be a mixture of both. Like, like I would have kind of scripted things, but mm-hmm. then I would also leave room for just, but like the, the best people that, that you see whether it's speaking or whether it's comedy, they look unscripted, but they really are scripted. Mm-hmm. Like they look like they're up there just winging it. Even yeah. like they're, they're interacting with people in the crowd and you're like, oh man, how does he do that? It's scripted, but he's, he's got it down with, and that's the key, where, where you don't see the technique. Mm-hmm. When, so, you, when you were doing the speaking engagements, did you have a strict script or were you similarly leaving yourself some room to improvise? Yeah, I um, I would have like an outline that I would like if, if I create a presentation, mm-hmm. I have like a general outline, cool. and so I would have bullet points. But now, if if I'm on stage, I'm unscripted, so I know I want to talk about, let's say, overcoming your fear, and I, and I have stories around that thing that happened to me. Let's say if I'm at a conference, and so maybe the speaker before me says something that that everybody reacts to. Mm-hmm. So I'll make sure that, you know, I mentioned that it, during my presentation because I don't want to come across like it's just some canned thing I've, I've given a thousand times. Yeah, you know, I really like it to be to be current and in the moment. So, yeah, I, I have like a, a, a guideline of where I want to go, but no, it's it flows from within there. Yeah, I can't really do a script either. Or at least it's hard for me to do that and s- still feel, um, you know, like I'm being uh, authentic and actually 
speaking from my heart or whatever. So a lot of times I'll do something similar where I might have a slideshow or presentation where I've just practiced it a bunch, but not necessarily written anything down uh, just because it's, I think the practice of doing it makes it stick in my head better than, you know, reading it or writing it down kind of thing. Um, well, one of the questions I also like to ask the guests is uh, what would you say is going to be your next big fail? What's the thing that you haven't yet done that you're on the path towards doing and probably going to mess up a bunch? <laughs> uh, I, I think just it, it'll be more failure from the standpoint of it probably is a speaking gig that I pursue that they may decide that they don't they don't want me to speak to the organization or they want somebody else. Yeah. me. Are you writing another book? Is that in the works or in the yeah. thought process? Well, yeah. I, I've got, um, there's a collaboration project that we're working on. It's called the what now mindset, uh, myself and my two business partners. So, so we're writing, uh, we're working on that now. That sounds cool. Are these secret partners or are you allowed to talk about them? No. So one of the partners is, <laughs> Ted Fells, he's my co-host mm-hmm. on the 30 Minute Hour podcast. And the other partner, her name is Dr. Sharon H. Porter. And so we're uh, there's something we have that's called the What Now Movement that I'm the president of, and they're my two vice presidents. Oh, cool. And we started this as another business. Uh, we started this in last April. And we've got right now 1,500 plus people in the What Now Movement Facebook group. And the purpose of the group is to help people to pivot. So we would like we would meet stand-up comedians that would say, hey, oh man, it's a pandemic. The improv is closed. What now? Mm. Yeah, I own a restaurant and I can't have people in the cafeteria. What now? And so instead of stopping and saying, I'm gonna wait until things get back to normal, the response is okay, what can you do? What pivots can you make? And that that's the spirit of the group and the movement. So the three of us, we are we're working on a book called The What Now Mindset, where we're telling the stories, our stories, and we've got case studies of several entrepreneurs that had to overcome just unbelievable challenges. Like you wouldn't, like, like it's almost something out of a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they've overcome these things and gone on to be successful. And, we, and we're providing tips in this book on how you can do the same. That sounds cool. So you started that last April. How'd you guys come up with that idea? Or at least one of them's your podcast um, host partner, but uh, how'd you get involved with the whole movement and mindset? What was, what was the kind of inspiration or how did that start? Well, so we were running into people. because So the three of us had, had always said we wanted to do a joint venture. Okay. So Ted and I, and we, so we had Dr. Sharon H. Porter on the 30-minute hour podcast. And we say, you know, we got to work together. And we were actually planning at one point before the pandemic to do like a conference. You know, in the normal world mm-hmm. where you had people in the auditorium and all of that. But then COVID hit and we were saying, we, we still want to work together. How, how can we do this in the current circumstances? And, and we started talking about these examples of people that, you know, again, the stand-up comedian, the business person mm-hmm. that has to go virtual. And, and then we said, what now? What now kept coming up? What now? What now? Hey, we should call it the what now movement. And, that, and that's how we came together. I like that. And I was doing a little bit of research before we talked, but I, I was looking on Stitcher, at least I could not find the 30 minute hour. So how do you spell that? I'll certainly put a link for the, um, uh, for the listeners, but I didn't know if there was a specific platform or anything that you guys post to. Yeah, we're on Stitcher. 
Um, it's the 30 minute hour. We're also is it spelled on, out potentially. Yeah. yeah. It's the T H E. I put uh, the numbers three zero. So maybe that's part of it. Well, it's the, and then, then the number 30. So the, and then the 30 cool. uh, minute hour, but we're on iHeartRadio. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Anchor. And only. so since I did not, get to listen to it. Can you explain a little bit what it is? I imagine you're taking an hour's worth of stuff and cramming it into 30 minutes is what I would guess based on the name. <laughs> no. So basically it feels like it usually our shows go about an hour, okay. but it feels like 30 minutes because of the value uh, that you get. And we always say it's not your everyday podcast. And so Ted, you know, my co-host Ted Fells. He's a successful CEO. He's had his company for 25 years. He has other businesses in addition to the ones that we're working in, working along. Uh, but even though we, we've got technical business background and we can be serious, but it, it's light, it's lighthearted. We, we basically just go back and forth with each other the whole time. And, and we, and the guests always say, man, this is fun and because we, we keep it light. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's, it's an enjoyable experience, and, but it's about personal development. And we, we have guests on who you know, have big followings that have been successful entrepreneurs and, and they share tips. And it's funny, your, your theme of your show is failure. I'm finding that recently I've been asking a lot of questions around failure and I'm finding that the guests have really started opening up. Like we had one of our guests said, Hey, I got sued for a million dollars and, I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. And but she was starting to get emotional because this was, then, you know, she worked through it and she's in a much, she's in a great place now, but I, I, I applaud you for focusing on the failures. You know, here's the thing. We're in the, we're in the Facebook world, right? Mm-hmm. If you go on social media and you look at somebody's Facebook profile, let's say you would think they never fail. <laughs> yeah. But everything's always perfect all the time. So I, I kudos to you for focusing on this. Yeah. A lot of people don't even realize because uh, they're also whitewashing it themselves, you know, with what they post, they might not even realize what value they're missing out from all of their, you know, mistakes or failures or the, you know, stumbling blocks kind of on the way to success. And I think what you said about having someone on your show that was kind of, I don't know if it was excited to share about it, but did not mind diving into it is probably because sometimes I think for successful people, especially they're promoting themselves so much and they're putting so much of a positive spin on a lot of things that sometimes it's going to be easy to kind of just uh, kind of gripe about the the bad things they've experienced. Cause also it helps people understand that in order to get to successful or to get success, you need to have uh, some sort of failures along the way. It's not ever going to be super easy. And if you are okay with that and comfortable with it, you'll be more likely to be resilient when some of those things are happening and you still need to press on. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's people here. What, what happens is someone they see, they may see you, or they may see me and say, well, of course, yeah, easy for them. Yeah, they, they've got it made. They, they're just naturals. But then when they hear your story, then they walk away with, wow, okay. Now I'm inspired. I, I didn't know you were going through all of that. So that's yeah. good to talk about the failures. Yeah, me too. I, I like, because I'm not even successful in any measure, as far as I can tell. Besides just generally speaking, I'm happy about my life and everything. But uh, I'm not someone to look up to in that sense. So I thought it would be hilarious to me personally, if I got some sort of success from focusing on failure, because 
that's the funniest way I can imagine to become successful. So who knows if anything will happen with it, but I, I just love how, uh, how much you learn from all the times when you really didn't have uh, the knowledge to get things right. And no matter how much you share painful moments with people, they really don't understand it until they experience it themselves. And it's, it's hard because failure is that lesson that never uh, stops teaching you, you know, as long as you can remember and try to learn from those things rather than just, you know, go into the negative with it. Uh, A lot of times when I'm, when I've got something that works and I figured out something that uh, I'm doing right, I try to think, what are the pieces of this that I would have got wrong if I didn't have all those other failures that, you know, made me realize some of those things that I've corrected, you know, in order to get there, because a lot of times you can just think, Oh, well, this is just the right moment and everything happened. But, you know, you might've had a lot of different things that you learned along the way that resulted in that final thing actually happening. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, definitely you learn more from your failures. I mean, all my mentors would tell me, Hey, Eric, you got to fail faster. (laughs) I remember one story, this guy who joined, he had joined four Toastmasters clubs at the same time. And he asked <laughs> me, why are you in four, cl- four clubs? He said, you know what? I can quadruple my failure rate. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. And it's good because it does take a while. It takes a lot. And sometimes it's forever in order to be comfortable with, with not succeeding. It takes a lot to take away the sting of, of hurt when it comes to not getting to where you want to go, but really the only option is pressing forward. Otherwise you'll never really get there and you'll more likely figure out what you want to do, you know, along that process. So I like that guy's advice. I think it's great. It forces a little too much, but you know, if you can handle it, uh, power to him, you know, Um, is there anything else uh, related to failure or any of the things we've talked about that you want to mention before we get to just uh, discussing where they can find you and where um, listeners can see what you're doing these days? Yeah, I, I think the key thing, too, is, you know, we're in the January time of this recording, January time of year. I think you have to factor failure into your success plan. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of times, let's say you make a New Year's resolution. You say, I'm going to work out now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to the gym. And then let's say you miss a time at the gym. That's a failure. And, and a lot of people just stop and say, oh, see, I'm off the wagon. So much for that. And they stop. You can't let failure stop you. You have to factor in that you may have a setback. And the key is just to move forward. What did you, you learn from it? And learn from the setback and keep moving forward. That That is the key. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't know, you know, where you want to go, I think uh, one, one good insight that I've heard is that, you know, kind of use fear as fuel to push you forward. If you're scared of something, you're kind of maybe going in the right direction in terms of what you should be doing. Cause when we, you know, when we get more successful, a lot of times that's because we're reaching out of our comfort zone and doing something that we might not have done otherwise. And a lot of people, the reason why something like that works is because there's a lot of people who won't do the thing when, when they're scared of it. And so whatever that thing is, usually there's a lot less competition because people will be bowing out of, of pursuing that. So I think the things you're doing with, Toastmasters and the National Speakers Association, all of that, and putting yourself out there is is great because it's not easy. And uh, and I applaud. You know, I, I've only done a little bit of public speaking, but I know it's it can take a lot of um, not only energy, but it can be draining in terms of just your ego and everything when things aren't going right or you have no one who will listen. Uh, so it's it's nice to see that you're getting some success with that. And I, I hope that the uh, the new book and everything and the What Now movement or What Now mindset, I'm not sure which one it is, 
uh, uh, certainly all go well. Well, thank you. Yeah, the movement is the what now movement. The book is that's coming up is the what now mindset. Cool. Yes. And then where would you say uh, listeners can go check out what you're working on these days? What's the best place to point them to uh, to see what you're working on? Go to my website. It's the discipline of now.com. You can go there. You can get a copy. The book is in paperback form, ebook, and it's in audio format as well. So you can get it there. And you can also check me out at the What Now Movement Facebook group. You can go in and just request to join. We've got great content, great, great content, a great network of people. So you can check me out there in the What Now Movement Facebook group. Cool. Well, I will put a link to both of those in the show notes. And thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate you sharing um, some of your insights and, and some of your experiences. And I hope that your podcast and any that your uh, guests on certainly go well and that you um, spread more of your message to those who need it. Hey, thank you. It's been an honor to be on your show. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.